Hello and welcome to the History of Modern Greece. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George, and our theme music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is a podcast that covers the events from the fall of ancient Greece to the modern day. This is episode 33, Arab Conquests. In 632, Abu Bakr became the first caliph, and he had some issues to deal with right out of the gates. The first thing he did was crush all the rebellions popping up around Arabia. He also canonized Muhammad's teachings into a single text, which became the Koran. He also sent a major caravan into the Persian Empire and began raiding lower Mesopotamia. Abu Bakr and his bandits were an unstoppable army, and the Persians had no energy, men, or tactics to deal with them. The Arabs came out of the desert and attacked the Persian cities and villages on horseback, their arrows flying with deadly accuracy. The Persians and Zoroastrians never stood a chance. In 634, Abu Bakr died and was succeeded by Omar, the second caliph, and took his Arabian bandits away from Tesaphon, the capital of the Persian Empire, and directed them west into the Roman imperial provinces. Omar was a great conqueror and could easily be compared to the likes of Alexander the Great or Napoleon. The Muslims raided into Syria and Palestine, taking over Damascus, which was one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman Empire. Threatening both empires, the Persians and Romans joined forces and tried to repel the invading Arabs. But there was nothing they could do. The Arabs would raid into the countryside, killing peasants, stealing their food and wealth, and carrying it back into the desert to Mecca. Not only did the war-ravaged farmers in the Middle East have very little money and good farmland left, but the constant raids forced them to flee and abandon their land altogether. And this weakened both empires even further. Now, the Arabs weren't the only unified tribes. The Bedouin were very similar to the Arabs in their lifestyle and tough, desert-nomadic way. Even though the Bedouin and Arabs are very similar, they are also very different people from the deserts of Africa. Now, the deserts along Africa were the perfect recruiting grounds for the Arabs. It wasn't just the brute force and lightning-fast attacks that made them successful, but the Arabs also charged a lot less in taxes to the people they conquered. Because they managed their entire empire from horseback, less expenses to maintain their forces. Peasants were expected to pay a quarter of the taxes under Arab rulership than either the Persian or the Roman Empire. Jews and Monophysite Christians, who were often persecuted in their own homeland, were also granted religious freedoms under their new Arab rulers. Once the Persians were conquered by the Arabs, the Zoroastrians were quickly granted religious freedoms. And this made the Arabs very popular with the peasants along the Persian and Roman frontier, especially because they had just survived a 25-year bloody long war between the two great empires. In 636, at the Battle of Yermuk, the Arabs defeated the Byzantine army. This battle was decisive and came as a complete surprise to the Romans, 
In the same year, the Battle of al Qadisia, the Persians faced off against the same Arab army that just defeated the Romans, and again the Arabs were victorious. In 637, the Persian city of Tessaphon fell to the Arabs. In April of the same year, Jerusalem, the holiest city in the Roman Empire, fell to the Arabs. Omar, the second caliph, was offered to pray at the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, but refused to pray inside the church. He wanted to maintain religious sanctity. Omar's generals pressed him to continue his campaign into Anatolia, but he wanted to consolidate his forces in the Levant first. In 638, Omar dismissed his general because his soldiers were praising the general and not Allah for their victory. In 639, the Arabs were still consolidating their power over Syria when they invaded Egypt. A man named Muiyah was put in charge of Syria as the governor. He was from the Umayyad clan in Mecca. And it's very safe to say that this man was determined to conquer all of the Roman Empire, starting with Constantinople. In 641, on February 11th, Roman Emperor Heraclius, the great hero of the war, who restored the true cross to Jerusalem, died. His sons were all disunited, making it impossible to defend against the Arab raiders. Now the throne immediately fell to the son of Heraclius, Constantine III, and also Heraclonus, and they ruled as co-emperors. And less than a year later, Constantine III died, and suspiciously too, as he was only in his late 20s. Heraclonus and his mother were suspected of murdering Constantine III, and the generals pressured Heraclonus to take the young son of Constantine III, also named Constantine, who was only 11 years old at the time, as co-emperor. Almost immediately after the young Constantine was crowned co-emperor, General Valentinus removed Heraclonus and his mother from the palace and had him mutilated before having them exiled. At the end of 641, the young emperor addressed the Senate and testified against Martina for murdering his father. General Valentinus was the best friend of the young emperor. In 642, General Valentinus was more or less in charge of the empire and even had the young emperor marry his daughter. He was getting ready to set up his own imperial dynasty. Now, General Valentinus was descended from the royal family of Armenia, who were themselves descendants of the Parthian imperial family. And the Parthians were the Persian dynasty before the Sassanids. Had the Arabs not been attacking the empire at this time, it is possible that this bloodline could have grown and had claim to both Persian and Roman empires. In 642, the Arabs conquered Mesopotamia from the Persians. The Persian army was never fully wiped out at the end of the Great War like the Byzantine Empire was. So the Persians fought back with everything they had, turning this into a bloodbath for the Arabs. Caliph Omar called for a treaty with the Persians, but Yazdegerd, the Persian emperor, decided now was the time to strike back and take back all of the land conquered by the Arabs. Sources say that there were over 100,000 men gathered in his army. However, the Arabs slaughtered them, and this defeat really sealed the fate of the Persian Empire for good. In 643, 
Valentinus went on the offensive against the Arabs. At one point in his campaign, he had the Arabs on the run, but managed to fall victim to Arab maneuvering like everyone else. It was a terrible defeat for General Valentinus. At the exact same time, the Persians mounted an attack against the invading Arabs, but lost, and the Persian Empire fled east into China, while the Arabs invaded further and further, and eventually took the entire Persian Empire, adding it to the new caliphate. In 644, Omar was assassinated by a Persian slave. At this time, the Arab Empire was now a superpower, stretching from India through all of Mesopotamia, the Caucasus, and all the way across North Africa to Carthage, which is Tunisia now. Despite his conquests, Omar lived like a nomadic chief, always in a hut and traveling with his caravan. Omar wrote laws that taxed wealth and not trade, as well as had some lenient rules towards Christians and Jews, who had to pay taxes to Islam for practicing their own religion under the caliphate. He was known as a great administrator and put the benefit of his new empire before that of his family. Uthman became the third caliph and had very little experience in governing, but had a lot of experience as a wealthy trader. His reforms within the Arab Muslim empire were all designed around trade and commerce, which set the Arab empire up for some of its richest achievements in medieval history. Not only did they have great trading laws, but they also controlled a significant part of the Silk Road. That's when they got really rich, and uh, people were paying lower taxes, so they're happy. They got lots of money. They can spend money on neat stuff. In the same year of 644, General Valentinus attempted to seize the throne from his son-in-law, teenage Emperor Constantinian otherwise known as Constance II. The Patriarch of Constantinople and the people of the capital resisted the hostile coup, and a mob ended up killing Valentinus in the streets. In 645, the Byzantines recaptured Alexandria, the breadbasket of the empire, but they would not hold on to it for long, as the Arab waves kept coming and coming. In 646, the Byzantine forces were forced to evacuate Alexandria, losing it from the empire forever. This was a terrible time for the Roman Empire and the emperor. Constance II watched helplessly as the Arabs chipped away piece after piece of his empire, making themselves grow larger and larger. With all of this trouble in the south and the east, you think the empire would be united that Christendom would come together and unite against the new empire with this new religion. But instead, the Orthodox and Monophysite Christians were arguing over which theology was right. Things got so bad that Emperor Constance II passed an edict that made it illegal for priests and bishops to even bring up the issue. This order was called the Typos, and it was an order that would force the empire to just put aside its religious differences for the time being so they could focus on the common enemy. In 647, the Arabs conquered all of North Africa. They also moved up into Armenia and invaded right through Anatolia and into Cappadocia. The Arab Empire had grown so fast that in a few decades, it was almost as large as the Roman Empire was at its height. In 649, 
the Pope in Rome, Martin I, condemned typos for its hindrance on allowing bishops to practice their work in theology. Constance then ordered the rest of the Pope in Rome, claiming his election was dubious and not sanctioned by Constantinople. The schism begins. The Pope, however, managed to avoid apprehension from the Romans, and many claimed it was divine intervention that the Western Pope evaded the Eastern Roman Empire's clutches. Shortly after, revolts started to break out in Italy. Maria's fleet attacked Cyprus and proved that the Arabs' naval fleet was inferior and needed to be revamped if it were going to contend with the imperial ships of the Mediterranean Sea. In 650, the Arabs conquered the Syrian coastal city of Aradus. By this point, the barbarians were very close to the very gates of the capital, and it looked like they were about to go the way of the Western Roman Empire. Boea started to build a large navy that could rival the Byzantine navy. In 653, Constance II tried again and succeeded in arresting Pope Martin I and brought him back to Constantinople. Martin was imprisoned for a year on Naxos Island and then brought to the capital where he was supposed to be executed, possibly by a public beheading. Constance II had charged the Pope with treason. However, the Eastern Patriarch pleaded to the Emperor to spare Pope Martin, and Emperor Constance II decided instead to exile the Pope to Crimea. In 654, Muawiya captured the naval base on Rhodes and desecrated their heritage by selling off the ruins of the Colossus. Now, the Colossus was in ruins, but it was also a symbol of Greek heritage for almost a thousand years, and this really upset the local Hellenic population. A Little Bit de Todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit de Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. In 655, Constance II retaliated and took his fleet to engage the Arabs in direct conflict. They ran into each other off the coast of Lycia, where the Battle of the Mass took place. This battle was a complete disaster for the Roman Emperor, who was present at the battle. This was a historic battle for many reasons. It was the first naval battle between the Roman Empire and the Arab Empire. It was also the first recorded account of Emperor Constance II accompanying his troops into battle at the age of 25. Constance is known to have traded clothes with someone else, who was immediately killed by the Arabs when they board the ship. During the reign of Omar, the second caliph, he had made his governors autonomous. This made it easier for the governors to rule over their selected territory, but also made them feel a little too powerful themselves, and different governors started to act more like kings themselves, and dissent started to grow within the caliphate. Revolts began to break out in all corners of the empire. On June 17, 656, Caliph Uthman died in Medina. He was assassinated. 
This took Muawiyah away from crushing Constantinople and forced him back to Arabia to deal with the civil unrest developing around the election of the next caliph. Now this civil war gave the Roman Empire the much breathing room it needed to consolidate their forces. Ali became the fourth caliph in 656, and Muawiyah did not like that idea at all. And he took his entire army south to deal with this atrocity. The first thing Ali did as the fourth caliph was move his capital out of Arabia and into Mesopotamia. There was now a full-scale dispute going on between Ali and Muawiyah that did not just have to do with the position of the capital, but also went far back into their days of mercantilism. Their feud was deep-rooted, and the tensions between the two brought the caliphate into a full-blown civil war. The first battle of the civil war was fought in 656 between Muhammad's widow Aisha and Ali, who was Muhammad's cousin and heir. This became known as the Battle of the Camels, and many were killed in this fight. However, Ali won the battle, and he decided he would forgive everyone on both sides. In 657, Muawiyah's forces made it down and faced off against Ali, and this time the loss of life was very heavy. In 658, a group of fringe Muslims decide that Ali was unfit to be the caliph, because forgiving your enemies instead of slaughtering them was weakness, and they rebelled against him. In 659, at the Battle of Narawan, Ali won a battle against the rebels. However, winning a single battle did not stop the rebellion, and two years later, Ali was murdered. Emperor Constance II began to set up his three sons to govern in his absence. Their names were Constantine, Heraclius, and Tiberius. He feared his enemies would attempt a coup while he was away. By placing his three sons into positions of power, he was hoping to deter his enemies. In 660, Constance II started to suspect that his younger brother was plotting to take over the throne. Out of his paranoia, he had his younger brother exiled to the monastery, where he took holy vows of celibacy and forbidden from having any children or taking any titles. However, this did not settle Constance's paranoia. He shortly after had his younger brother killed. In 661, Constance II made the decision to go west to reclaim the western provinces. No emperor since Justinian had sent troops to the west. The threat to the east has always been the most intense frontier in the empire. But he felt the Lombards were vulnerable and he was going to reunite the east and western empires. There was talk about Constance II moving the Roman capital to Sicily, just as Constantine I had moved the capital from Rome to Byzantium. With a caliphate controlling North Africa, Sicily became the most vulnerable entry point to Europe. In 661, Caliph Ali was assassinated in the Great Mosque of Kufa in Mesopotamia, and Muawiyah became the fifth caliph. It is at this time that the caliphate stopped being a nomadic kingdom and became a contending empire with the Romans themselves. The caliph was considered the equal to an emperor, and Caliph Muawiyah was crowned on the throne in Jerusalem. This was the foundation of the Umayyad dynasty, 
which meant that Muawiyah was destroying the democratic election of the caliph by the leaders of the different tribes in Arabia. He was the Julius Caesar turning a republic into an empire. Muawiyah's goal was to become emperor of both the Roman and Persian empires in one super caliphate. He modeled his courts after the Romans and even started to act like the emperors. Muawiyah was a great caliph and used his power to institute a postal service within the empire and expanded agriculture within the caliphate. By appointing his son Yazid to be his successor, he broke many traditions in the election of the caliphate, which would come back at the end of his reign in the form of a bloody civil war. In 662, Constance II began to build his army that would take him west. He gathered most of his troops from the Greek provinces, as every territory west of Constantinople was in complete chaos from the forty years of war and pillaging. He also spent time fortifying his garrisons in preparation for his journey. One of the most important things Constance II did before heading west was incorporating his sons into the imperial offices. In 663, Emperor Constance II left the capital city and headed to Italy, the first Roman emperor to do so in over 200 years. At first his campaign went very well, and the Lombards were overwhelmed by the Romans. However, it didn't take long for word to get to the king that the Romans were invading, and the Lombard king, Gremald, sent an army to repel the Romans. Constance II was forced to retreat, to Byzantine-held Rome, where he met Pope Vitalian. Because this was the very first emperor to visit Rome since the fall of the Western Roman Empire, this was a very big deal, and the Pope toured churches and holy sites for 12 days. I can't stress how big of a deal this is, a Roman emperor back in Rome. Anyone living there would have traveled far to see this event. Apparently, he stripped the copper roof off the Pantheon and had it shipped back to Constantinople to be recycled. If that is true, then that is terrible. However, if he didn't, I'm sure that someone would have eventually. Constance moved his entourage into Sicily, where he spent the next five years in Syracuse, where he was rumored to be setting up his new capital city. These next five years were also his last five years, so it is impossible to tell if he was planning on staying or whether or not he intended to return to Constantinople at some point. It is important to note that the emperor was still relatively young at this point. What is known is that his tax collection policies in Italy were brutal and upset the local population to the point of outrage. There were accounts of women selling their bodies and parents selling their children into slavery just to pay their taxes. But this could be an exaggeration. In 668, Constance II was murdered in his bath by a Greek servant. This was either a huge conspiracy concerning assassination, or it was nothing more than an angry servant who wanted revenge for poor treatment. As soon as Constance II was murdered, a general from Armenia, Mesisios, claimed the imperial throne in Sicily. He even had his own coins minted in Syracuse. Now this didn't mean anything since the capital hadn't been moved yet, and Constance II's son sat on the real throne in Constantinople, the greatest city in the world. Looking back at Constance II's reign, 
we have to admire the fact that he inherited one of the most disastrous periods in Roman history so far, and was crowned emperor at the age of 11. He spent his entire life fighting to keep the empire together and commanded troops into battle many times. He was a brave and dedicated emperor, and I would have to say one of the better emperors in all of the 1600 years of history in the Roman Empire. In 668, Constantine IV was crowned emperor in Constantinople. He took power from his deceased father at the age of 15. And as soon as he was crowned, a general revolted and invited Muawiyah into the empire to help him take the throne away from Constantine IV. Even though the rebelling general died really quick, Muawiyah was locked onto the Roman Empire with the intent to wipe it out. In 669, young Constantine IV faced his first challenge. An army of Roman soldiers marched on Constantinople from Anatolia and demanded that Constantine share the throne with his two younger brothers. Constantine met with the leaders of these men to negotiate. As soon as they were within his grasp, his soldiers executed them all immediately. Problem solved. Crisis averted. Over in Sicily, Mizizios was ruling this tiny chunk of the Western Roman Empire and did so for almost an entire year before he was murdered and power restored to Constantinople. In 670, Muawiyah sent his son Yazid to attack the Romans from Anatolia, while he led his army into Africa to secure the North African coast. Yazid invaded as far as Shaladan, which is literally right across the water from Constantinople. The emperor himself would have been able to see the enemy if he were standing in the right spot. From this vantage point, the Arabs were all set to lay siege to Constantinople. In North Africa, Moea was able to capture everything except for Carthage, but they managed to raid into Sicily. As soon as word made it to him that his son had brought the army next to Constantinople, Moea diverted his attention away from Sicily and at the heart of the Roman Empire. He sent his forces to Anatolia to prepare for the siege. In 672, the Arabs attacked Constantinople with their navy. This forced Constantine IV to take all of his troops out of the Balkans to fight Muawiyah, which only led to a Slavic siege of Thessalonica. The Roman Empire hadn't been this pinched between enemy forces since Attila the Hun, over 200 years before. By 674, the Arabs had several base cities occupied around Constantinople that could be resupplied by land and sea. Constantinople was ready for the taking. And this next fact will make you appreciate just how impenetrable Constantinople really was. The siege lasted over four years. And up until now, every single battle had been a defeat for the Byzantines. It is very reasonable to expect that anyone living in Constantinople during this siege would have thought that the end of the world was upon them. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the History of Modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome.